I can hear all my mouth noises in my head. Prison Reefer Show. You don't do singing anymore. No. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast. With Chris. And Reefa. That's us. That is us. People that are listening said some nice things. Yeah, so post bag, first order of business. Thank you very much, Amelia, for getting in touch. Love you loads. Amelia said that she was almost moved to tears by you banging on about contouring. And that... That she might go and see the Frida Kahlo exhibition. Yeah. Both of those were my articles. Yeah, that's very good. Uh, Amelia we know in real life. She's quite a big cheese. What do you mean a big cheese? Well, she knows everyone in Bryson. That's a good thing. That is true. So everyone lots of people listen, listen to her opinion about things. You know why she's famous now, don't you? Why is she famous now? Because she dropped a person. What? She decided to get fit. And so she dropped the equivalent of a person in weight. And now she's like this fitness guru type. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah, she gave me some tips about what, how to stop eating so much bread, but I just ignored her. And the other person who said something really nice about us was another Brighton ledge, Tony Marks. He turned on his computer and listened to our ramblings on our podcast, and then he was pleasantly surprised to hear that we were nicer listening than we were in real life, or something like that anyway. I, I hope that's him. okay. I don't know if that's a nice thing or not. Of course it is. So if you're in Brighton, Tony runs Starfish and Coffee, which is up near Queen's Park, which is already award-winning, even though it's only been like open a year. It's definitely the best brunch in town. Brunch. Brunch. <laughs> <laughs> On to our first topic. What's your highlight of the week, Aretha? Mm, it's not really a highlight. It's Aretha Franklin dying. <laughs> it's not really a highlight, Chris. I just wanted to talk about it a bit because <sighs> crumbs. Everybody's talked a lot about Aretha Franklin this week. I just wanted to say that my favourite songs of hers were Say a Little Prayer and Angel. And I used to listen to those loads on repeat on cassette when I was a little kid, when I was a teenager. But also I really loved the Blues Brothers film and where she does the song Think and a little bit of acting as well. So I made Chris watch the whole of the Blues Brothers, which came out in 1980. And it's a homage to loads of soul and R&B, rhythm and blues singers. And uh, loads of cameos in there, including Steven Spielberg and Carrie Fisher is in it. So you've seen Blues Brothers loads before. Yes. And I would characterise Blues Brothers as the film I've, one of the films I've seen most that I hate. I really don't like it and I didn't and I didn't like it this time. Is it because there's lots of black people in it, Chris? No. That you don't like it's it? It's not. <laughs> Can you tell me why you like it? It's an iconic film. It's a musical. It's got these amazing street scenes in Chicago where everybody just suddenly starts dancing. It's funny. Um, the two protagonists are on a mission from God. There's so many funny lines in it and it probably is the fact that I watched it when I was, you know, when I was a teenager and it was all this music that at the time wasn't really particularly fashionable. 
you know, Cab Calloway does like Minnie the Moocher in the middle of it. It's surreal. It's bonkers. Carrie Fisher's like chasing him all around the country because she seeks some revenge on John Belushi's character. James Brown is in it, for goodness sake. So it's just a fun film. There's nothing bad about it, Chris. There's some Nazis in it that get trolleyed. There's so many great lines in it. It's like of its time. So if you probably tried to watch Naked Gun again now or Ghostbusters, Back to the Future even. Oh, Purple Rain, that's one. That's one. I remember that so vividly and it really moved me. Try and watch Purple Rain now. It's naff as anything. So maybe you just don't like fun or laughing, Chris. (laughs) The two bits that everyone knows that are sort of separate from the film, which is Aretha Franklin singing Think, as you just mentioned, and the bit where they sing, they do the big full band performance of Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. Both of those bits are amazing, but both of those bits, you'd almost see them as pop videos, wouldn't you, on, on telly? I love those bits of music, but even that bit where Aretha sings Think, she sings as a kind of nagging wife, think about what you're going to go and do to her husband who's a musician and her other member of staff, the only other person helping her run the cafe is a saxophone player and basically what happens is she sings this amazing soul song saying don't be stupid, stay with me and run the cafe and then basically the bloke ignores her and goes off and is in the band anyway Oh, and and it felt like almost doesn't matter, you could have the power of Aretha Franklin's voice and soul and gospel music but the bloke's still going to go off and be in a shit rock and roll band. Well, let's face it, this film is not passing the Bechdel test, is it? Because there are only two female characters in it and they don't talk to each other. It is of its time, like Grease, for example. Yeah, and also it's, <laughs> it's a celebration of classic soul music and it's a celebration of these great lost soul artists but the two lead characters are white guys. No. And so they're on a mission from God, but that kind of means that everyone's just completely gullible to do anything they say all the way through. That's not it. The mission from God bit is so that's the reason why nothing's hurting them and that they don't get arrested by the cops and they don't get killed by Carrie Fisher. That's what the mission of God bit is. But it was still progressive because you had all these black artists that... I think in the documentary that I watched on BBC about um, Aretha, it just mentions the fact that her her career was on a decline at that time. So it gave a showcase to all these artists my generation hadn't heard of, really. I wonder also if there's a British thing about Blues Brothers, because in the States, when it was released in the cinemas, Blues Brothers wasn't a hit at all. It was like a, a mediocre film in terms of its box office. A lot of people eulogising Aretha Franklin have sort of said her career was on the slide and then she was in this iconic role in Blues Brothers. Maybe, yeah. And then that brought her back in. And then she did all these duets with like British singers in the 80s. So it almost creates a picture that Blues Brothers turns the tide. But it's much more realistic that actually it's different things, different kinds of career. Like she has a proper career as one of the great Atlantic soul artists of all time by the late 70s that's gone because that whole world has gone and then she doesn't ever rekindle her career she doesn't need to because she becomes an older kind of artist and she does some duets with pop stars on kind of 80s pop hits which are great i mean i got really annoyed with that bbc documentary when people seem to write off like her duet with george michael 
I knew you were waiting for me, is a masterpiece. And the Annie Lennox one was amazing too. The Eurythmics one is absolutely brilliant as well, which presumably is, is a Dave Stewart, Sisters are doing Lennox. it for themselves is an anthem. Mm. The thing about the UK and the, and the States is probably spot on because in the UK, soul never went away. That kind of Motown sound, Atlantic sound, Northern soul was always a thing in the UK, and mod sounds even. And in the States, maybe people just didn't like her after all because of her civil rights work. The thing that was good about that documentary was to see recent footage of her. Like, she may have gone away maybe in media terms, but she certainly comes out with the belters when it's Obama getting inaugurated or when it's Carol King getting um, put into the Hall of Fame. You know, she was always there. She never went away, as most people would think. What else are we talking about? So, what's your highlight? What's your highlight? Highline is your highlight. Um, <laughs> on Friday, we went to the Tate and we spent the whole day at Tate Modern, pretty much. We went to Picasso 1932 and Shape of Light, 100 Years of Photography and Abstract Art. And I thought Shape of Light, 100 Years of Photography and Abstract Art was pretty ropey. <laughs> and not worth the money at all. Lots and lots of people who've done a bit of abstract art in the 20th century and then other people who've taken photographs that either show a very similar image or attempt to achieve something similar. Gosh. And I got really annoyed very early on. It did get a little bit better later on in the exhibition, but that's only because the scale got bigger because as photography got better through the 20th century and the art got more more interesting as well, I suppose just the pure impact of things was bigger. So we are in a period of absolutely fundamental change for photography. More photographs got taken and published in the last, say, three months than in the first 150 years of photography. I felt they rammed home one kind of fairly small point over and over again. They just banged on about, oh, look, this is an idea that appeared in abstract art during the 20th century. And, oh, look, here's some people trying to do the same thing or respond to it or do something similar as the technical craft of photography develops. So I got really annoyed. I thought it was rubbish. All galleries and museums all over the world are trying to get more people, more different kinds of people into their spaces to see art. And if that was the exhibition that you thought, OK, it's going to be accessible, it's called Shape of Light... I'm going to take my whole family, and I saw a whole family wander around with their cameras because they're into photography, the kids. And yet they're wandering around going, yeah, I don't get it. Possibly maybe even feeling a bit stupid because they're not moved and they're not excited and they're not interested. In monochrome, on Photogram, our friend Ben, he said he was fascinated by the fact that it was an emerging art form. So when we're at the beginning of photography, people are experimenting with the film, with the light, with composition, with everything, really, because it's new. Well, also, it's a perfectly reasonable point that they're doing this experimentation, but going back this far retrospectively now and looking back at it, learning the technology and learning to use a craft, it's almost like we're just looking at workings out. We weren't really looking at any artistic vision. Like, they're trying to achieve an effect. Well, that's not important. That's good for them, and if they achieve it, then they can go off and do something really interesting with it. It almost might have been a better <laughs> exhibition at the Science Museum. Yeah, maybe. But more importantly, 
We also saw Picasso 1932, an overwhelming, brilliant, extraordinary exhibition of painting by a total prick. And he is horrible, and he is full of it, but he did have a pretty impressive year in 1932, and there are lots of incredible paintings in there. I think I think a big problem with it was actually having watched, not so long ago, Hannah Gadsby's stand-up show, Nanette, on Netflix, which is a demolition of her of her taking her life and using it in stand-up and then how that impacts on her. But one of the sidebars of that show, it's not really the central theme of the show, but Hannah Gadsby is an art historian as well. And she bangs on a little bit about how appalling Picasso was and how he gets a pass in a way that we really shouldn't, particularly in the era of Me Too, we shouldn't be giving people a pass. And it leads into that scary, complicated conversation about separating the art from the artist. And having watched the Nanette show, it made it much more difficult to separate the art from the artist. So I'm walking around looking at these portraits and and maybe that's an achievement of Hannah Gadsby that even in kind of a few passing gags about about Picasso, she makes the point far more, uh, she brings it home. If I go to an exhibition with a bunch of blokes, they're going to see the art in a completely different way to me. So even if I hadn't have watched Nanette, I, all I'm seeing are images of women. Images of women that aren't actually anything to do with the woman. The woman is the object. If you go back to Ways of Seeing by John Berger, the book and the TV series, which is all on uh, YouTube, just see that historically that's women's place in society, women's place in the world. And let's face it, most men in power or just most men just never really thought about it before. And the blooming Me Too thing has only just highlighted that. But women have been talking for many, many years about all the different things that happened to them, not just physically, but emotionally and not even having a voice. We're just part of the furniture, literally. So that's why I find Picasso problematic. So my feeling that having watched Nanette was a reminder of that, you'd argue that probably we would have felt that anyway. I did, but I don't know if you would have particularly. Well, it would be inevitably more powerful and visceral for you because you're a woman. That's my point. You agree with me. So in the light of that, what did you feel about the exhibition? Was it any good? The feelings I had were, yes, there were some paintings that I thought were interesting and beautiful and there were some nice shapes and lines and, you know, but I couldn't get away from because the whole exhibition is about this one particular woman. And I just wondered, is it because that I've seen some incredible exhibitions at the table done recently? Soul of a Nation blew my mind last year. There's been so much interest in dispelling some of these myths that it just felt so incongruous. It just felt so like every other exhibition. I could have seen this like 20 years ago and been like unmoved or kind of like, oh, well, this is, this is, you know, this is great. But it's it's only because other people have said that Picasso's a genius. I was unmoved. Just before we were leaving the gallery and we'd pretty much run out of energy and we were headed off, we stumbled on Jordan Wolfson's coloured sculpture. 
and it's only on for another few days. So if you're listening to this after the 26th of August, you can't see it. But if you're listening to this before the 26th of August and you're in London, for God's sake, get to the Tate and have a look at Jordan Wolfson coloured sculpture. It's absolutely extraordinary and it was a really weird feeling coming out a little bit nonplussed and then seeing this one work that I think was the best thing I saw all day by quite a stretch. It's a large, like larger than a human, wooden puppet of a little boy that looks like a horror film little boy with kind of scary, horrible eyes and a grimace. And it's hung on chains. And then these chains are moving, choreographed. So this boy gets dropped onto the ground and then picked up and sort of dragged around by either its arm or its head. And at the same time, it's got face recognition software so that it can look at people who are looking at it. It can recognise a human in the gallery and look at them with its eyes, which makes it incredibly disconcerting. And then there are other bits in there, like it occasionally says stuff and there's loud music that occasionally blares out. Um, I think it's When a Man Loves a Woman, the Percy Sledge song. It's very noisy and it's scary and you start and for a moment you think it's funny and then it's absolutely horrific and at points you think it's the victim and then at other points you think it's it's something vile. At one moment I felt incredibly sorry for this inanimate piece of wood and then another moment I felt relieved it was chained up because it couldn't get me. Talking about not having strong emotional reactions to the Picasso, I had such a strong visceral emotional reaction to this one piece. Just a brilliant piece of work. There's one moment, it's so well choreographed, where the puppet's fallen on the floor and then the chain continues to unspool from the ceiling and it actually creates a little pile of chain. And you realise even that was deliberate. If you can get to see it, it's incredible. With this one, I thought, I'm just going to watch for a few minutes and get into it because it was like modern dance, but also it was alive in a way. Maybe it was making a statement around robotics and the uncanny valley, like because it's a humanoid, but also it's being manipulated by a computer program, which we all are all the time. We're just all kind of puppets in the machine. So that's our day at the Tate. It was pretty good. Tate day. In some ways, it was a disappointing day, but. It wasn't really. It was still a good day at the tape. But sometimes you need that. Reefa, what have you been reading this week? I'm such a slow reader, okay? When I was a student, I used to love to go to exhibitions and I thought one day when I'm really, really old and rich, I'm going to be able to buy the expensive art brochure and I remember the first time I did that and that was not that long ago it was like when I went to see that Blooming Frida Kahlo exhibition then I got into a bit of a habit of buying all the brochures I've got the cutouts from Matisse and I barely glance at them Soul of a Nation was an exhibition at the Tate about the art in the age of black power it starts off the exhibition with pieces that are around the civil rights movement and evolves into the more surreal and abstract art that was also happening at the same time. And what's really fascinating is that the interview, these people are all still alive, you know, so there's loads of interviews and interesting pieces around what was actually happening 
with the art and design of the work at the time and how people communicated and the collaborations between artists who weren't seen in literally white spaces, in white art spaces, and how they created their own galleries, their own spaces. And that was their way of protesting, was through their art. And I'm enjoying reading that very slowly. I'm going to recommend a sci-fi trilogy, which I actually finished reading earlier this year. It's by N.K. Jemison and it's the Broken Earth trilogy. And the reason I want to recommend it now, even though I finished it like months ago, is that the third book in the trilogy just won the Hugo Award. And in fact, every book in the trilogy, all three, have won the Hugo Award in the year they came out. So N.K. Jemison, she's won the Hugo Award three years in a row for the best novel. And the moment I started reading the fifth season, which was the first book in the trilogy, I knew she was on a par with the absolute greats of science fiction. It's an incredible exercise in world building, an incredible hard sci-fi adventure. It has loads of ideas, just loads of ideas, sort of about a world racked by earthquakes for various reasons. Yeah, so that's my book recommend. N.K. Jemison, Broken Earth Trilogy. Good work. Good work, that woman. <laughs> Are we done? Say a little prayer for you. <laughs> Plug, she says Brighton. Oh yeah, 150 tickets have already gone. There is space for you to come if you want to. Everybody's welcome, all genders. Um, we've got five amazing, inspiring speakers. They're all women. It's on the 14th of September at the Salis Benny Theatre, which is part of University of Brighton on Grand Parade. Come along, there's free wine, free nibbles. So you get to mix and hobnob with some cool people. And I'm running a farewell party for my radio show. It's called Midnight Campfire Live. It's at the Marlborough Theatre in Brighton on the 13th of September. I've got the wonderful singer Olivia Aubrey over from Portland. I've also got the brilliant Elle Morgan over from Southsea, so she's not coming as far. And uh, Lewis McHale, local lad, also performing. So that's three artists in the beautiful Marlborough Theatre. Find details at the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash midnight campfire and if you enjoyed this podcast please like and subscribe and tell your friends and give us a nice rating or a review and you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash refigure pod that's facebook.com slash refigure pod we've also got an instagram which is refigure uk What's on there? Have we put photos? I've put I've put some really cool images. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> of nothing really. I I know I'm going to take a photo now of you us doing a podcast. Oh yeah, not of me though because I look yeah. terrible. Yeah, and I do one of me in my pajamas. Goodbye. <laughs> Are we going to say goodbye now? Goodbye. Goodbye. Fly up.